0: Thank you so much for joining us again. Now our passage for today comes from Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Hear now God's word to us. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this place, this time, and this space to be able to sit underneath your word. May it guide us into deeper flourishing and intimacy with you. Thank you for your grace and the beauties of your kingdom that you long to bring into this world. For your glory and our good. So now may we have ears to hear and eyes to see what it is you long for us to know, to do, and to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when I was thinking about um, some of the movies my children love the most, some of them are like The Chronicles of Narnia, Big Hero 6, um, The New Secret Garden or even when I think about um, some of the new Christmas movies that my kids absolutely love, whether it's, well, these aren't new, some of them, Home Alone, Jingle Jangle, brilliant, by the way, and The Christmas Chronicles. What do all of these movies have in common? Interestingly enough, they have children at the center stage. And even more than that, children are the heroes. And not just in our movies. You see, our art, fashion, and celebrity culture, it revolves around children and youth broadly, and we hardly even notice it anymore, at least until you start getting older and you realize it doesn't revolve around you. But that hasn't always been the case. If you go back to the ancient Greco-Roman society, a common thread throughout various cultures was that children were in the background. Maybe they'll be heroes someday, was the thought, but it was definitely not while they were Children, You see, for children, their value lie in what they will be one day for the community. They did not have value inherently. They were valued for what they might become. Children had nothing to offer today, but their value was that they might be heirs tomorrow. So therefore, the goal of any steward or parent or teacher was to help them grow up. And to grow up into what? Well, of course, the ideal person, the goal or the spotlight was to become a strong, mature adult. That was how the world viewed children. That is, until Jesus. You see, Jesus has influenced so much of the world in ways that we rarely even fathom. Which, if you're watching and you find yourself skeptical and exploring about Jesus, the one thing, no matter what our faith persuasion is that we cannot be skeptical of the massive influence that Jesus has had on the world as it currently is. You see, Jesus said something utterly unique about children. You heard it read, it was short, and it was striking. Yet it's absolutely essential when we seek to understand who he is and what he's come to do. When the rest of the world looked at children and said, watch us adults if you want to understand and know the best life, the life that leads to the divine, When the rest of the world said, become adults, Jesus actually challenged the broader cultural framework and said, become like a child. There's something children do best. And Jesus says, only if you become like a child in this way, you enter, will you enter my kingdom. And as outlandish as that sounded in the first century, today we still have so much to learn about King Jesus and his kingdom. You see, we're in a series in the Gospel account of Luke seeking to rediscover Jesus' kingdom. For far too long, Christians have sought to define the Christian life as a me and Jesus experience. But what Jesus came to do cannot be exhaustively relegated to a private affair hidden in the recesses of our hearts. Jesus wants to not only renew you and me, but to renew us together and the world broadly. He came into the world as a promised king to provide a new way of being with him in his world and for his world. And Luke has been going to great lengths to make this abundantly clear. I mean, kingdom language is all over the gospel account of Luke, so much so that it's at the heart of Jesus' teaching again and again and again. And it's even evidenced here in the passage I just read for us and that it's referenced twice in just a few verses. So that when Luke seeks to summarize even Jesus' whole ministry in chapter 8 of Luke, he says that Jesus went about proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. You see, God's kingdom, if we were to give this a broader framework, is where God's will is always done under Jesus' reign. Yes, it involves forgiveness. Yes, it involves reconciliation with God and personal transformation. But there's also so much more. I love the way that... Dallas Willard in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, writes that the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will where what God wants done is done. Or Tony Evans in his brilliant book, Oneness Embraced, where he says the kingdom of God is God's comprehensive rule over all creation. If God's kingdom is comprehensive, so is his kingdom agenda, his plan and program for the people and places under his dominion. You see, Jesus' kingdom is the reality where His rule is experienced. And, we, and as, as followers of Jesus, we pray for this in the Lord's Prayer, don't we? We pray that His kingdom come, His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just in our hearts on earth, but actually on earth. And why pray that heaven would come to earth, that His will as it's done in heaven? Because heaven is where God's kingdom is in full force, where what God once done is always done. And God's mission is that this would also be true on his creation at earth. It's both a present reality, this kingdom, of his will, as well as it will be a fully experienced reality when he comes again. And this is good news because of who God is. When we think about God's kingdom, the reason that it's breaking in is good news is because our God is a good God. And when a good God's will is done, it's good for all aspects of our world. For you, for me, and every avenue of our lives. And so when Jesus comes and he says that God's kingdom is upon us, that it's available, Jesus is inviting us into this life together even now. But to be clear, he's actually inviting us because it's not a present reality experienced by all and in every facet of our lives. There's another competing kingdom. And sometimes we get them confused. And this is where Jesus turns our attention to children, okay? So that's a bit of a backdrop. There's something in how children navigate life that Jesus says we must embrace to enter his kingdom. So what is it? This is the question we're going to ask and kind of answer as we walk through our text this morning. What is it about Jesus's kingdom that only people who become like children can enter it? Now, this is not a peripheral issue. If we miss this, we're going to miss everything. So let's take a look together. If you haven't already, would you please turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18, verse 15. And right there we read, Now they were bringing even infants to him, to Jesus, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Now, the disciples, these are his closest followers, they left everything, everything to follow Jesus, to watch him, to support him. And maybe they were off getting food or carrying out some chores, but suddenly they see these parents are bringing their children to Jesus. The parents just wanted Jesus to touch their children, to bless them, which was a common practice. But but remember, the idea was not like, oh, let's get a cool picture with Jesus and post it on our Instagram. Like, that's not the framework. This is a different culture with different perspectives. Rather the thought was, okay, children, where are they supposed to be? They're supposed to be in the background, out of sight, out of mind. And so naturally the disciples acted in accordance with their cultural framework. It doesn't say that children are of no status explicitly when you're reading the text. Rather, when Luke is recording this, everybody who's reading this would have understood that. Everyone reading would have expected the disciples' response. It would have felt like common sense. And what is common sense? It's when something feels right, even though you can't explain why. So of course they think Jesus doesn't have time for kids. These kids aren't going to get him anywhere. If anything, they're actually going to hurt Jesus' image such that people are going to think he spends all his time with babies. I mean, come on. This Messiah is a military leader. I mean, what kind of Messiah does that? He's supposed to bring truth and liberation. And so the disciples think, okay, Jesus, we're here now. We'll fix this for you. We'll get rid of the kiddos. And so they rebuke the parents. You can imagine how that goes down. Do you know who Jesus is? I mean, this is the Messiah. Where's your respect? If you want to honor the Messiah, reserve his time for important folks. That's how the kingdom is going to come. You know better. Come on, everyone back up. Jesus only has so much time and energy, so don't bother him with your babies. But in the surprise of surprises, what Jesus does is he actually then rebukes his own disciples. Look with me, Luke chapter 18, verse 16. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me. And do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, so this is an amen statement. This means it's really important. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So what's Jesus saying here? Remember earlier it says they were bringing their infants. Okay, We naturally think of children walking up to Jesus in this episode, which is also true. But here it also includes the littlest of babies. Imagine Jesus holding a baby. Have you ever thought about that? Like just Jesus holding an infant, looking down upon this little helpless one and staring up at him. This little child would be looking into Jesus' eyes. And then he looks at his disciples and says, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, like this infant, shall not enter it. So let's take a beat here for a second, okay? How does an infant navigate life? With all three of my children, um, it's pretty astounding the sense of responsibility I had when I held them in my arms for the first time. Um, They fall asleep when they're suspended in someone's arms. When's the last time you fell asleep suspended in someone's arms? Like There's something extremely vulnerable and fragile about that. All of their weight and security right there in another human being's arms. When they're hungry, they literally can do nothing but cry out waiting for someone to feed them. When they're cold, someone must wrap them up. When dirty, someone else has to do the humiliating act of cleaning them up. There is no greater picture of vulnerability and simultaneously no greater picture of dependence. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus wants us to see that children utterly rely on King Jesus. Children utterly rely on King Jesus. Their lives... Are defined by dependence. The only thing they know to do is to ask for help. The only reason infants actually cry out in anticipation is because they're expecting someone to actually respond to them. It's it's a part of the nature, it's instinct. And it's this we are to see and actually emulate in children. We are to see every need as dependent upon Jesus. Every relationship as needing His intervention. Every moment of our day is requiring His kingdom provision. He has to be the source of our joy, the foundation of our hope, the place of our love. Exclusive dependence upon the one who holds them. And this is harder, I think, than it actually sounds. Like, you know, you can say children utterly rely on King Jesus. And that sounds nice and neat. But to actually live into that? Because as much as children utterly rely on King Jesus... Time and again, Jesus saw how adults only resort to King Jesus. Children utterly rely on King Jesus, but adults only resort to King Jesus. I mean, think about this. To be an adult, especially in our culture, is to be defined by independence. There's a sense of pride in our culture that comes with not needing help from anyone. We literally have termed a coin or coined a term, there we go, adulting. It's learning to navigate life on our own. We often talk about picking up our lives by our own bootstraps, right? To be an adult is to have learned a thing or two. The longer you're an adult, the easier it is to say, in all my fill-in-the-blank years, I think I know how to fill-in-the-blank. To be an adult is to be the opposite of helpless. To be an adult means you give. You don't need to receive. To be an adult is to be recognized as someone worthy. To be an adult is to have the ability to force your perspective when it isn't being received. To be an adult is to have earned your place in society. And I think one of the greatest misunderstandings of what being a mature adult is, is that we, only, we think to ourselves that we only need to resort to King Jesus in emergencies. What's the common image of Christianity by those who view it as a place for the weak? It's this image of a crutch, right? Something you lean on when you're not strong enough to navigate life on your own, when you're not fully a mature adult yet. And so we think we only go looking to him when we feel like we've lost control, which we assure ourselves again and again as adults is less and less, more and more every day. And so when God helps us, we say, God, I promise this is the last time I'm going to ask you for help. And then we turn to him only as a last resort when nothing else will work. We only want his blessing on the decisions we've already made through our own wisdom, or we only want his advice, not really his direction. As adults, we tend to resort to Jesus because we think arrogantly that we don't have to rely on Him anymore. We believe we've learned how to navigate life without Him, that we've navigated certain workarounds that we think work just fine. Thank you very much. And as someone has once observed, once we've worked out all of these workarounds, when we've learned to navigate life without Jesus, the best way to avoid Jesus is to not need Him. And like kings and queens of our own kingdoms, we look to Jesus like an ally king with an ally kingdom versus our sovereign master over us. Someone we reach out to when we can't navigate life on our own. And we may even go so far as to project that that's all that Jesus wants from us, or even worse, that's all he has time for. But Jesus here, he's making it abundantly clear if we want the beauties of life with him and the benefits of life in his kingdom, we must become like children. And children don't resort to Jesus. Children utterly rely on King Jesus. Now, at first, this may sound weird to think about mixing these metaphors of children and Jesus is king. It's like, what's going on here? Um, but that's just because we're so separated from the first century culture. It was actually common for kings to call their subjects children. And collectivist culture, still today, with kings and kingdoms, this language is continued. Um, actually, there's a helpful uh, snippet from misreading scripture with individualistic eyes, where we read In his autobiography, King Abdullah II of Jordan writes On the night before my father's funeral, I went to bed with a family of four, and I woke up the next morning with a family of five million." King Abdullah II describes his role as being like a father to his people. This isn't just flowery language. He understands the relationship, king and subjects, to include dynamics of responsibility, dependency, protection, and care. You see, King Jesus is inviting us to depend upon him and his kingdom like children do with parents. That's the only way to enter the kingdom of God with him. So with that backdrop in mind, I want to ask you this question. Are you receiving Jesus' kingdom like a child? Are you receiving Jesus' kingdom like a child? Are you handing over everything? Your politics, your sexuality, your finances, your outlook on how the world actually works? Is there something you're holding back? Is there an area of your life that you think, you know what, I've got this Jesus. And Jesus is just waiting for you to surrender it. This isn't something we grow out of. This is actually something the more mature we become in our faith, the more we grow into. So, what does that look like when it actually takes on flesh and bone? Well, for starters, it looks like Frank Labach. Frank Labach was a missionary in the Philippines in the early 20th century. He tried a personal experiment, actually, which is fascinating, of moment by moment submission to the will of God. In January 1930, He began the habit of turning his mind to Christ for one second out of every minute. Can you imagine that? One second out of every 60 seconds. That's fascinating. And after four weeks of fighting for this, this is what he writes. Check this out. I feel simply carried along each hour, doing my part in a plan which is far beyond myself. This sense of cooperation with God and little things is what so astonishes me. For I never have felt it this way before. I need something and turn around to find it waiting for me. I must work to be sure, but there is God working along with me. I mean, that kind of receiving, that kind of dependence. I mean, what if we just tried that? What if you took a couple weeks and experimented in the same way? I mean, in many ways, that's what we're seeking to hopefully do in this new resource, theformed.life, which I encourage everyone, if you haven't already, to go ahead and go sign up online at theformed.life. Why? Because over time, you'll actually realize that your best attempts at life without Him at the helm, those areas you feel like you've got covered, especially those areas, they pale in comparison when you're doing it on your own, to what he wants to actually do when he's invited to reign in those areas. Like the children who find the door to the secret garden in the midst of our pains and heartache, God wants to open up a whole new world to us, a world with Jesus as our king and us as his subjects if we'll depend upon him like children. In Jesus' reign, it reaches for more good than we can even begin to ask, imagine, or think. And listen... What Jesus is elevating of infants shows is that if you're willing to actually come to Him, to come to Him like a child, then Jesus won't let anyone get in your way. If you want Him and His kingdom, you will have it. Breaking in now, partially, to be sure, we'll get foretaste of that. And then one day, fully, if we come willing to utterly rely on Him to receive in humility like an infant. No matter what society says about you, no matter what you say about you, no matter even what other disciples, right, might say about you, Jesus wants to invite you to life with him, a new kind of living for a new kind of kingdom. And he stands there crying out to you and to me, let the children come to me. Will you come to him like a child? Will you receive his kingdom like a child? Stop holding back and let him hold you. Let's pray. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the wisdom and insight on how we are to enter your kingdom work and how we're not to grow out of this, but this is the posture and the place in which we continue to grow in maturity is by growing in deeper dependence upon you rather than independence from you. May we become like children, in this particular way. And so know a sweetness of communion with you and the power of your kingdom showing up in our everyday lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that we cannot actually provide the deepest of nourishment to our own souls. Instead, Jesus is the bread of life that was broken for us, and His blood was shed on the cross to pay a debt we could never repay. And so when we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we remember that we are recipients, not customers, but recipients, like children depending upon all of our needs from Him. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have these elements available to you, I'd encourage you to get those together, even grab some friends and family and partake together. But before we do, let's remember what has been handed down to us. For the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you're ready, receive from our loving and amazing King Jesus.